Welcome to the City Church Cardiff podcast. We're an Elim Pentecostal church in the center of Cardiff dedicated to bringing hope in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you're inspired and impacted by this message. Well, welcome to our brand new sermon series for the month of September. It's called Steadfast, a series based on the New Testament book of James. The word steadfast speaks about being fixed in place amidst difficulty, about being firm, unwavering, unshakable, unbendable, resilient. And the little letter of James shows us how to have a steadfast faith in tough times. And that's why it's such a great book to study right now as the world grapples with the impact of the coronavirus. In many ways, the little letter of James is one of the most practical books of the New Testament. James shows us how to apply Jesus' teaching to everyday life. James answers the question, what does a disciple of Jesus Christ do? What does the Christian life look like? And James shows what living faith is, what it practically looks like, both personally and socially. James contains 108 verses, 54 of which are commands. It reads a bit like a pep talk from a coach telling the players, God's people, how to act on the field of play. It's straight talk, practical wisdom. It's the New Testament equivalent of the book of Proverbs. My message today is entitled, How Can I Grow Spiritually? James is concerned that his readers mature in Christ, that they move on to maturity in the faith. And today we're going to be looking principally at James chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and we'll also touch on verse 12. So let's start with verse 1, which gives us some insight into the historical setting of the letter. And it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Here the author simply identifies himself as James. Now, there are at least five men mentioned in the New Testament who are called James. And most scholars following church tradition believe this to be James, the brother, or more accurately, the half-brother of Jesus, the biological son of Mary and Joseph. And certainly the simplicity of the introduction suggests that he's well known by the recipients and the authoritative tone in which he writes suggests that his authority is recognized and this will be fitting of James the half-brother of Jesus and we know elsewhere from the New Testament that this James was actually an unbeliever during Jesus's actual ministry on earth but he came to believe in Jesus after the resurrection when Jesus appeared to him now that's a great argument there for the claims of Jesus Christ it's a sermon for another time but imagine that believing that your brother is God because I'll tell you I know what I would do if one of my sisters claimed that they were the chosen one and yet James believed Jesus when he appeared to him after the resurrection and James would go on to become the leader of the Jerusalem church it's interesting also the way James introduces himself he's a brother of Jesus he is one of the key significant leaders in the church and yet he doesn't mention those credentials he calls himself the servant of God and Christ It's a reminder that regardless of 
who we think we are or what we do. First and foremost, we are servants of Jesus Christ. The original word translated servant here is actually speaking of complete devotion. And that is how James lived his life once he put his faith in Jesus, completely devoted to Christ. And also, it's how he died in death as well. The letter of James is addressed to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And coupled with descriptions elsewhere in the letter, we can say that these are clearly Jewish Christians who are living in exile outside of Palestine as a result of the persecution which is outlined in Acts chapter 8. So the occasion of the letter of James, uh, the reason why it, it was written, is that it's a letter written to Jewish Christians who are struggling. I think these Jewish Christians were even in danger of giving up because of the pressures that they were facing and so James writes to encourage them to remain steadfast and to show them how to have a faith that endures the letter of James is usually considered one of the earliest if not the earliest uh, book in the New Testament James was executed in AD 62 so it definitely wasn't written after that for obvious reasons but it may have been as early as the mid 40s and certainly when you read the letter it does seem to reflect a time early on in the Christian movement when it had a particularly Jewish character. It also doesn't reflect later concerns that we might reasonably expect James to comment on had they already happened. And also while we're on verse 1, just notice that the way James describes Jesus is as Lord and Christ. He puts Jesus on par with God the Father. He's recognizing the divine status of Jesus, his older brother. I say that because it's worth keeping in mind, if you ever come across those false claims that in the early days of Christianity, they didn't ascribe any divine status to Jesus. Well, let's go to verse 2, where we pick up now one of the major themes in the letter of James. Where it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Note here that James is addressing brothers and sisters. In other words, those in the family of God. So this applies to Christians. And he says some insightful things. Firstly... Note that he says, whenever you face trials, he doesn't say in the unlikely event that you ever happen to face a trial. No, his language is basically saying this, sooner or later, you are all going to face trials because trials are not optional. Sometimes because of misguided beliefs, we act as if the Christian life should be trouble free. We, so we get surprised or derailed when trials come. We start doubting God's goodness. You know, I knew someone once who refused to sing that song, that beautiful song by Matt Redman, Blessed Be Your Name. You know, there's the part that goes, you give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. I am not going to sing there because, uh, yeah, I don't want you to, to tune out of this broadcast. But this person used to sing, you give, you give. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. He wouldn't sing and you take away. He didn't know that was biblical. I think he watched too much, you know, that so-called Christian TV, the, the rubbish uh, name it, claim it stuff. He, he, di he didn't realize that actually uh, Matt Redman was actually referring to a biblical truth here. You see, one of the reasons why some Christians are so bad at handling trouble, be it suffering or sickness or sorrow, is because they don't expect it. So James is saying here, expect trials. 
We wrongly tend to associate suffering or difficulty exclusively with the displeasure of God. But James is saying, no, no, that's not the case. He's trying to give, up, give us a heads up here. Trials and trouble are a normal part of the Christian life, at least here on earth. So don't get surprised. Don't get overwhelmed. Expect difficulty. Expect disturbance. Expect disappointment in life. This is what James is saying here in verse 2. And onwards, because the Christian life is not an easy life. For sure, there will be times of triumph. And we, and I pray we will, know those times of great delight too. But as we'll see shortly, these things don't usually come our way in spite of our trials. Often, they come our way because of the trials, through the trials. All of us listening to this sermon right now will be in one of three categories. Either we are in a trial, we've just come out of a trial, or even if we don't know it, we're about to go into a trial. The language that James uses in verse 2 actually carries the idea in the original of suddenly falling into a trial. You're going merrily along and then suddenly a trial comes without warning. That phone call, that Test result, that accident, that bit of bad news. James is speaking into this. How should we respond when it just seems as if the bottom drops out of life? Well, James's answer is, consider it pure joy. And that's quite an odd answer. For most people, especially when they're going through a trial, joy, and especially not pure joy, is not the first thing that comes to mind. It just doesn't seem intuitive. You think, you know, okay, maybe if McDonald's get my order wrong, then okay, I can probably muster up some joy. But what about those kind of serious problems and difficulties, the pain and suffering that we go through? What could James possibly mean? Why did the Holy Spirit allow him to include this in Scripture? Well, firstly, note that James is not saying that we should feel joy, but instead that we should count it as joy. He's talking about making a mental decision here. So he's not saying that we should enjoy, enjoy the trial or thank God in some way that he's uh, allowing us to go through this bad thing. He's saying that we choose joy in the midst of the trial. When James says consider it as pure joy, he's reminding us that in every trial we have a choice to make. Not in terms of whether or not we go through that trial, but in terms of our response to become better or to become bitter, to choose faith or to and trust or to choose unbelief. In times of pain and problems, our feelings though they are valid, are not an accurate guide because we're likely to feel a whole host of negative emotions. So we have to consciously choose joy. This is what James is saying. But even this here is not a natural reaction. It requires a supernatural response, which is only made possible by the Spirit of God. When you consider it as pure joy, however, you're saying, I'm going through this trial. It just doesn't feel good. But God, I'm not going to give up on you. That's a picture of steadfastness. You're making the decision not to judge your circumstances by your feelings, but to let the love and the goodness of God be the lens through which you judge your own circumstances. And this is a picture, a really wonderful picture of what it means to be steadfast. Steadfast is that attitude that you have when you say, no matter how difficult this trial, I'm going to continue to trust in him. One reason why we struggle with this verse, however, is that we misunderstand the meaning of the word joy. Often we take it as a synonym for happiness. 
And we, we think that joy means the absence of trouble. But that's not what joy means in the Bible. What joy means in the Bible is really a deep satisfaction and a contentment in Jesus Christ. Being supremely satisfied in him. Joy is a deep down knowing in the core of your being that God is with you. That his purpose will prevail despite whatever problem or pain that you're going through right now. And as Psalm 16 and verse 11 says, this joy comes from being in the presence of of God. It is a joy that is found not in the absence of trouble, but in the presence of Christ, knowing that however dark it gets, God is right there with you. So considering it as pure joy is a conscious choice that we have to make when hard times comes. This is what James is saying. And throughout his letter, James tells us to look to and to pursue wisdom from God. Wisdom from God to face the trials of life. And I think when it comes to facing trials, there are at least three truths that we really have to keep in mind. Let me um, speak these truths out. Firstly, that this trial has not taken the Lord by surprise. Secondly, that this trial is not the end of your story. And thirdly, that this trial can be used for your spiritual growth or benefit. Let me speak to each of these. The first statement is a statement about God's sovereignty. It reminds us that God is in control, that everything that happens is either caused by God or allowed by God, that nothing catches him off guard. Even when the devil is doing his worst, nothing catches God off guard. Now by this, I don't mean that God has orchestrated all of the bad things that have ever happened to you. But I am saying that none of your problems are outside his power, his grace, and his love. And so all this means that even your disappointments in life can be turned into his appointments. The second statement, that this is not the end of your story, reminds us that we have to evaluate our trials from an eternal perspective, not an earthly perspective. So often we get it the wrong way around. We look at it purely through an earthly lens, but we need to see the big picture. We need to see the eternal picture. More on that later. But suffice it to say, if you are in Jesus Christ, you have the victory because he has the last words. And that means that you will outlast your problems. Regardless of the outcome here on earth, you won't be taking those trials with you into heaven. They will cease. Some of them will be reversed. You, however, will live forever in the presence of God. Now, if we believe the first two of those statements, then we can look to the promise of the third statement, that our trials can help us to grow spiritually. Friends, we may not always know why things happen in the way that they do, but when difficult times come, you can know this, that God can take those trials and he can use them for our good and for his glory. That's right, our trials don't have to tear us down, but they can build us up. How does this happen? Well, James gives us the answer in verses 3 and 4. So he tells us in verse 2 to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. And then he says, because, in verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Some translations will speak of steadfastness or patience or endurance. And let perseverance, verse 4, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
James is saying here that believers will grow from trials because trials produce perseverance or steadfastness, that unshakable, unbendable, enduring quality that I described earlier. But steadfastness isn't the goal. Maturity and completion in Christ is the goal, as we see in verse 4. In fact, steadfastness is one of the pathways to the main goal in the Christian life. The main goal in the Christian life is Christ-likeness, looking more and more like Jesus. And James is saying that God can use the problems in your life to help you mature spiritually as you become more like Christ. He uses the word testing in verse 3. And this is referring to that process in which gold is purified in the furnace. In order to separate pure gold from the dross, the ore is heated. And that's kind of a high heat. It's intense until it's melted. It's a picture of what God is up to when we go through fiery trials. We can sometimes just see the trials, but God is up to something. There's a blessing in the skies in the trials. This is what Job meant in Job 23 in verse 10 when he says, when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. You know, fire, we sometimes only think of fire as destructive. And for sure, the Bible does talk about a kind of suffering that is like fire that is destructive. But it also talks about a fire that is purifying and refining. The first fire we want to avoid, but the second fire, though painful at the time, for sure, produces something positive. Isaiah 48 and verse 10 says, See, I refined you, though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. If we are to develop Christ-like character, we can't do it without the furnace. If we are to be who we are called to be in Jesus Christ, we can't do it without the furnace. If you've seen the graphic for this sermon series, then you'll see it's a picture of a blacksmith or a silversmith even at work. I heard the story of an old silversmith who was once asked, how do you know when the impurities are burned away in the silver. And he said, ah, oh, it's very simple. It's when I see my reflection in the silver. And this is one of the main benefits of the furnace of affliction. That Christ's image can be reflected in us. And this is why we sometimes need the heat of the refiner's fire. Quite simply, this is the goal of the Christian life. That we become like Jesus that's why Catherine and I started off 2020 here, bringing in a word which we believe was from the Lord to us. Become who you really are. This is the year to become. And who would have known when we preached that sermon back then in January, what challenges we'd face with a global pandemic. And yet it's exactly the kind of trial that if responded to in the right way, is the thing that can lead us towards becoming who we really are to becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. So when you feel the heat, know that your suffering need not be wasted. There are major blessings in disguise waiting your way. God can use our trials to conform us to the image of his son. And that has certainly been my testimony. As I think back on some of the most painful, horrific moments of my life, now I'm on the other side of those trials. Certainly, I can quite clearly see the hand of the Lord at work. I can see the character developments. I can see how I was sharpened. I can see that those are the times where I really learned what was inside of me, what I really believe. I can see it was a time when my faith was deepened, where my dependency of God were, on God was just enlarged. 
there in the furnace of affliction. Those things, I'm not lying to you, they, they were really difficult back then. But even now, this side of heaven, I'm able to see how they were beneficial to my spiritual growth. Because I learned to respond the right way. They didn't defeat me. On the contrary, they were the access point to me rising to even greater spiritual levels. God can use our problems to strengthen our faith and to cause us to grow spiritually when we decide to count it as joy. And that's why we can count it as joy. Because God will never be outwitted and God is always good. You know, it's similar to the way our muscles are strengthened. No pain, no gain. It's the strain that we put on our muscles when we kind of lift weights or other exercise that brings the development. Or, you know, we have a guitar here and a violin, these kind of stringed instruments. They need to be pulled tight to enable that sweet music to play in the first place. And sometimes we just need to be stretched and pulled tight a bit. But do you know what the result is? Beautiful music. Christ-like character. And this is why James is telling us here to let perseverance finish its work so that we can be transformed into the image of Jesus, which is what James means when he talks about maturity and completion. And it all comes through steadfastness. But you don't get steadfastness in the good times. You get it in the bad times. And that's why we need to cooperate with God's maturing process. And James says when steadfastness has its full effect, the believer will be perfect, complete, mature. You see, maturity in the Christian life doesn't happen by simply growing older. Just because you've been in the church a long time doesn't mean that you're suddenly all wise and mature. For sure, the longer you go, the more you should grow, but it doesn't always happen like that. What matters is not the length of years, but whether in those years you've grown as a disciple of Jesus Christ and whether or not you're looking more and more like Jesus. And I pray to God that this time next year, I will look more like Jesus than I do presently. This is why we have Life Track here at City Church to help you move on that discipleship pathway, advancing as a disciple of Jesus Christ to look more and more like Jesus. Not only to be with Jesus, but to become like Jesus and to do the things that Jesus did. Maturity, in other words, has to do with character. It's about developing the character of Christ. And James is showing here and throughout his letter that such maturity is, is, is forged in the furnace of affliction. And specifically in terms of how we respond to trials. Immature Christians complain or get upset when things don't go their way. They bite back, they grumble, they take it out on others, they plaster it all over social media. Mature Christians, on the other hand, know how to respond with godly wisdom and to stay in peace, whatever the circumstances. Let me close by looking quickly at verse 12, where James says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I don't know about you, but I want the kind of life that God blesses. And yet we see here that it comes at a cost. In fact, the road to blessing is paved with tears and pain. But know that God promises blessing to the one who remains steadfast under trial. So friends, if you're in that place of pain right now, don't give up. Cooperate with God. Know that God is up to something if you allow him. You see, the idea of blessing here speaks about having God's approval, being approved by God, passing the test. James is saying that when we have stood the test, we are approved by God. Imagine that. What a great statement to be said over your life. Approved by God. 
And James shows that there is a reward, a reward for being steadfast, the crown of life. That word crown is referring to the laurel wreath that was given to victorious athletes in the ancient games because they endured and they won the prize. I'm sure I'll teach on this more fully at another time, but suffice it to say for now, all Christians go to heaven, but not all Christians receive a reward at the judgment seat of Christ. The reward depends upon how we live. And James is saying here that there is a reward in heaven for remaining steadfast, even in the face of trials. We don't determine what challenges, hardships, or difficulties come our way. All we can determine is how we react when those things happen. Well, the letter of James, and I encourage you to read it fully later. The letter of James shows us how to respond properly and spiritually when we come under such pressure. We have seen today that God can use trials to mature us, to help us to grow spiritually, to help us to become more and more like Jesus, which is the goal of the Christian life. But this requires us to respond the right way. But when we do, blessing comes. When you are steadfast, when you hold on to God's promises, those things that you thought would be the end of you, when surrendered to God, they can be the making of you. God can and will use them for your good. What you thought would destroy you, God can use to develop you. What you thought would break you, God can use to benefit you. God can take all of the apparently random, painful, unfair actions and events and circumstances of your life and still work out his sovereign purposes. So if you're in a trial in this moment, God is inviting you. To trust in his goodness. This is what James is calling us to do. To stand strong in the face of trials. To know God's goodness and therefore to even know his joy. And I want to tell you, his spirit is here to empower you, to encourage you, and to carry you. And to help you to remain steadfast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. To find out more, visit our website at citychurchcardiff.com or find us on social media.